Welcome to the Modern Manifestation Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Brown, a business mindset coach, entrepreneur, and a top competitor in a male-dominated industry. I'm a native Texan, the youngest of all brothers, and a lettuce-hating, wine-loving, curses-like-a-sailor recovering perfectionist. I've spent over a decade building my commission-based career, and my life's purpose is helping other women achieve the same multi-six-figure success I achieved before I was 25. I have a passion for helping women with mindset, money, and manifestation skills to help every young woman realize her full potential. If you're looking for vulnerable conversations, professional development, inspiration, or even a kick in the ass to get you motivated, you have come to the right place. Thanks for checking out the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Now let's jump right in to today's topic. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This morning, I bring you the third co-author from the book, Finding Our Wings, a book that covers seven women's life experiences and lessons learned along the way. And our third co-author and interviewee of the book is Cindy Villanueva. Cindy is such a badass. I mean, her story in the book takes place about 20 years ago when she first started getting into martial arts. You not only hear all about her story of transformation, but how this has helped her multiple times throughout her life. To me, Cindy's story is one of strength, resilience, and courage. And I know there's so much to be learned from her story, so I'm so excited to host her today. Cindy Villanueva is a serial entrepreneur, author, and a mom. Cindy, I am so excited to host you as our third co-author. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to host all of you co-authors, and it has been a pleasure getting to know Amber and Laura and a few others that are to come as well. So I'm going to jump right into it. We heard from Laura and Amber how this book came to be. How did you become a part of this co-authorship as well? Yeah, yeah. So I was a part of the women's networking group that those guys were part of mm-hmm. two, three years ago, I guess, and had you know been a part of that initial writing project that went awry. You know, we all kind of went our separate ways, but um, we had stayed in touch. You know, made some really good friendships through that process, even though it didn't, you know, really come to fruition. And Mm -hmm. as we continued to talk, a few of us were saying, you know, maybe, and then part of us was going, oh man, it was such a not great experience the first time around. And yet, you know, when you have that story, you want to share it. And I'm a really big believer that, you know, lessons learned that are not shared are really wasted lessons. You know, maybe you get Mm -hmm. out of it, but Boy, you've got to, you have to take advantage of the opportunity to share it with somebody else. And so we all kind of coalesced around this idea that, you know, maybe we would just give it a try one more time. And uh, so that's how it, that's how it all came together. That is perfect. I think it speaks volumes. I mean, I have read your chapter and it's all about resilience and strength and stepping up. And I think the fact that you decided to step into this co authorship ag- again. 
and go after the second iteration of this publication, everything, all the lessons that you learned in that chapter are coming through, even with your actions in doing that, right? Because the first action or the first opportunity for this book failed. And then you still stepped into the process of a second book, essentially. Yeah. And I just think that goes back to that resilience that you formed. What was the hardest part of your chapter to write? I think going back and looking at that story, the most difficult part for me was really the, the the crisis point. And it's not at the beginning of the book, which is a crisis, but mm-hmm. it's later in the book where I'm talking about deciding to break the brick, where I'm at my mm-hmm. first degree black belt test. I've had a wonderful day. And then the evening comes along and it's time to break bricks. And mm-hmm. the thing that was really difficult for me to write at that point was that my self-confidence, the rebuilding of my identity and my strength was so fragile at that point. It was so new. And when I was faced with that crisis, it was really a, a challenge to kind of pull myself away from that sense that, oh, I shouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You know, it's better to just mm. and, and retreat and go back mm-hmm. to that life that, you know, that I hated. So that was hard to revisit, to go back and know, because honestly, it was a little bit shameful to think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I had had this fantastic day. It was my first degree black belt and that day was fantastic. Everything went great. I ended up getting a best technique award for my division and it just was perfect. But then for that last thing to come up and it's not mandatory, breaking bricks is, is an optional thing. And to think, Oh, I've had such a great day. Everything has gone well. Maybe I should just say no. And, you know, let's kind of just hold my cards here. And, and thinking back about it, it, you know, it was, it was shameful. Like, gosh, Cindy, why didn't you have the courage? Why didn't you just jump up and say, yeah, I'm going to do it. And uh, Mm. but I did end up doing it. And you'll read about it in the book. I, I did end up doing it. But that was the, that was the toughest part to write. That's an incredible story. And I actually loved that part of your chapter is the fact that you stepped into the fire and did the thing that was hard for you to do anyway. And I can't help but feel like, you know, maybe a lesson would have been lost had you not felt that shame and had you not been hesitant at first. Do you think that you would have learned the lesson that you needed to learn had you not had that experience of shame and had you not initially been afraid to do it? Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. The lessons that I learned during the day going through the test were, you know, I can push myself harder than I thought I could. I remember thinking about that test, walking in the door with the idea that no matter what I, no matter what experiences I had during the day, I was going to give everything I had. I've Mm -hmm. laughingly said since then, you know, over 20 years to my students, you can scrape me off the floor with a spatula. I mean, I'm (laughs) going to be done, done, done. And, and I did learn those lessons. And, and I, my goal for the test was when I wake up on Sunday morning, I do not want to have any regrets. I don't Mm -hmm. think, wow, if only I'd gone a little bit harder during the sparring, or if only I'd pushed myself a little bit harder during the forms or the kicking or whatever. I, mm-hmm. that, was, that was my goal was to wake up Sunday morning with no regrets. And I did. And that's a great lesson. But I will say the lessons that I learned and the lessons I write about in the book, breaking the brick transcend everything else I learned from that test. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like essentially what you're saying is that you never regret the chances you take. That's a great way to put it. You start off the chapter with something that just instantly hooked me. And the phrase was, I am not dumb. Mm-hmm. And I know so many of us, myself included, we can't help but defend ourselves from our own worst thoughts. And these things tend to bubble up a lot. And this was the exact narrative that I struggled with a lot growing up because I was the youngest sibling. And so it was easy for my older brothers to always just say, oh, you're so dumb. You're not doing this, that, and the other, right? Because you're just younger and you don't know yet. Yeah. And so can you talk about what this phrase meant to you, how it formed initially, and then how you inevitably ended up letting it go? Oh, yeah. It, it's, it is heartbreaking. And I see so many women going through this. For me, at that point, I had been through a really, really miserable marriage, 15 Mm -hmm. years. And, you know, when I was in high school, I was a straight A student. I was the, you know, the super scholar. I was recruited by colleges all over the country. I was the brainiac. Mm -hmm. And so I had this history of being super, super smart. And yet here I am 15 years later And I know that I have done the dumbest thing in the world by first getting married and staying married (laughs) to this person who just stripped me of every shred of, of my identity and my confidence. And, and I say that as if I had no office. I mean, I, I made choices that allowed that to happen. And so Mm -hmm. my reaction to myself for making those choices was, you thought you were so smart. You're really not. You're stupid. And Mm -hmm. It was that just constant, unceasing self-deprecation. And I think we do that so often. I think about the things that I will say to myself compared to the, the, anything I would say to, to another person, no matter how vile that person is. I would never say the things that I say to me that I say mm-hmm. to other people. And that was one of those times when I, I was just awash with that sense of just stupidity and incompetence and just so much devaluing of who I was. And it was my way of trying to fight back. I'm not stupid. I'm really not stupid. Look at, I have all these things in my past and maybe they were a long time ago, but I'm still that girl. I still, you know, it was, it was that litany of things trying to talk myself into believing it. Mm-hmm. And and to answer your question about how I've overcome that, I will say it is something that I struggle with to this very day. But I have tools now where I find that, let's say I do something that I would consider dumb. Like I'm a sixth mm-hmm. degree black belt. You know, I'm a martial artist. I should be able to not walk up the curb and not trip. But mm-hmm. if I trip, it's like the first thing that wants to pop in your head is, you're a klutz. You're not good at this. You're stupid. You're incapable, whatever. It's that you're blah, blah, blah. blah. So what I've done is I have worked really, really hard. I can't always catch myself before I start it, but I can transform that sentence. And what I've chosen to do now is like, let's say I'm walking into my studio and I trip over the curb. Instead of saying, you idiot, you whatever, I say, you just tripped. You need to be more careful when you're coming up these steps. Or you didn't notice that the curb was there. You were distracted. You need to pay you know, more attention. 
And I just reframe it so that it's a positive, so that it's really, it ends up being, one of the things I tell my, my leadership clients all the time is it's just a math problem. It's just be really objective about it. Let's, let's isolate the variables. Let's not attach emotion or personality to any of this. And so it's an action that I'm very deliberate with is that I turn it into a very objective sentence instead of an emotional sentence where I'm castigating myself. You idiot. I can't believe you tripped over that curb. It's you tripped over the curb. Be more careful, Cindy. And then I can go on my merry way. And it's an objective sentence. It's no different from me saying, Hey, my name's Cindy. I have green eyes. I can say it without batting an eye. There's no emotion attached to it. And I don't have to destroy myself. Mm-hmm. But it's, an, it's a very deliberate choice that I make. That is such a fantastic message. And I actually love this topic as well, because I talk more about manifestation than anything else. And a lot of times it's just these continuous thoughts you have over and over again that compile, you know, these negative thoughts, like you said, I am dumb. I am not worthy. I am not, you know, I am not blank, fill in whatever that is. And over time you allow those thoughts to happen so frequently that it becomes a part of your identity. And then you're struggling to manifest things in your life that you want on a much larger scale, but it comes from these smaller nuances and these smaller things that you do. And so reframing is a huge part of that. And that's a a great way to reframe a lot of the negative things that happen to us to still keep us in a positive state for manifestation and just in general being mentally happier people. I I agree with you a hundred percent. I think we, we don't ascribe enough value to words. And words are so powerful. Mm-hmm. They're so powerful. And, you know, I'm a Christian. So I, I, a lot of stuff for me comes back to the Bible. But I think about, you know, mm-hmm. God spoke the world. He used words to create. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that we're created in his image. And we have that creative power with our words. And we can mm-hmm. create life or we can create death. And I found that I was creating death for myself for years that I was Mm. so distraught over the choices that I'd made and everything that happened, I ascribed the fault of it to me. So Mm. this person did this thing that made me feel this way, or this person mistreated me, or, you know, this circumstance occurred, it always came back to, oh, well, I made a bad choice. I did something stupid. And I think, you know, words go out they create, they go into your ears, they create something inside your heart. And so it's really, it's so important for us as women, as human beings, that we are creating life with our words. And I Mm -hmm. think about how the things that I say to my children, I create life. I tell them how precious they are. And I'm not one of those, you know, you're perfect. You're the best. You're, you know, I'm not, I don't mean it that way, but I create life in them by telling them how valuable I are, how much they are loved, how wonderful they are, how fortunate I am that they are in my life. And, you know, and like I said before, I think lessons learned that are not shared are really only partially valuable it's mm-hmm. really important for us to take the things that we learn and to share them. And, and I think a lot of times when we do learn things, you know, we're glad we've learned them, we've overcome, but now we just want to move on. But now let's take that whole concept 
and do it with the hard life lessons. And yeah, sometimes mm. it means that, you know, you've got to write a book and say, hey, I, you know, made some bad choices in my life when I was 18 <laughs> or 20 or whatever. But here's what I learned because, you know, one of my very favorite quotes says that smart people learn from their own mistakes, but wise people learn from other people's mistakes. And mm-hmm. I want to be a wise person. And I also want to give out the the wisdom that I've learned so that other people, maybe, you know, maybe you can make different mistakes. You won't have to make that same mistake. Mm-hmm. You mentioned within your chapter that you almost felt like you were going down the passive role as a wife that you'd saw your mother go down. Mm. How much of that, whether it be shame or vulnerability or regret or emulation did you feel? And do you think that that played into how long you stayed in that marriage? Or do you feel that there were any cultural expectations as a Hispanic woman with Southern roots that caused you to stay with your partner longer than you otherwise would have? Yeah, that's a great question. So my mom was very passive and my dad was very overbearing. Um, They had a very traditional marriage. I mean, it wasn't that either of them was bad. They just, that was a very traditional marriage. My father came from Mexico. He was kind of stereotypical of that culture that he was the one who called the shots. And my mom was a very wonderful stay-at-home mom. Her big thing was she's, she used to say, I'm not a housewife, I'm a homemaker. And that was a big deal to her was that she stayed mm-hmm. home and made a wonderful home for my brother and me. But she didn't stand up to my dad. And she mm-hmm. gave me a lot of mixed messages, I think, when I was growing up. There was stuff that where she would say, you know, you are so capable, you're so smart, you're so talented, blah, blah, you can do anything in the world. And then there were also those good wives get up in the morning and cook breakfast Mm. and and good wives do this kind of thing. And, and I grew up feeling like real good wives stayed married, you know, you didn't you didn't get divorced. Mm-hmm. That wasn't something that was done. And also, I would say too, you know, being a Christian, that was in some churches, that's like the unforgivable sin. And right. so the whole concept of, of getting a divorce was not, it just wasn't on the table. So I tried really, really hard to make it work. And it just was never going to work. And the whole concept of, you know, staying married for your kids, well, when your kids are watching, fighting and there's just a lack of comfort and a lack of stability, that's not good for your kids either. You brought up so many great points in that. I mean, even just a young woman that grew up in the South, I mean, I had very similar expectations from my own mother and my own grandmother. Mm-hmm. And they do they they did their best to raise us as strong, independent women that could go out and, and do things. But at the same time, there's still those cultural expectations of, you know, they come to visit and they're looking to me whenever, oh, I noticed there was dust on the baseboard. Or, oh, <laughs> you know, and it's like, they don't look to my partner. Yeah. They look to me and yep. say, well, why didn't you get that done? And it's kind of funny. But yeah, it you know, I, I grew up in California. But like I said, my dad was from Mexico and my mom was raised in California, but her parents were from Oklahoma and Texas. So I think there was some of that Southern Mm -hmm. culture that sort of seeped through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, when my mom died, she had cancer. She died two weeks before my parents would have had their 51st anniversary. And, (sighs) you know, that's just kind of how I thought it was supposed to be like one and done kind of thing. 
so the idea that I couldn't make it work was a, was a source of shame. Mm-hmm. I know you found martial arts in a very vulnerable time in your life. Why did you fall in love with it? And what, what about it spoke to you as you were going through your divorce? So I started martial arts really just to have something to do with my kids. My daughter, when she was in the eighth grade, had gotten into this dumb little pushing fight at school. It was like no big deal. But my parents freaked out. And they said, you know, the kids need to know how to defend themselves. Find a good martial arts school. We'll pay for the first year. So I started looking out at different, and I mean, in San Jose, there's a martial arts studio on every corner. So I'm looking around, but I found the Ernie Reyes organization and really just fell in love with the Taekwondo discipline, but they were really, they concentrated on leadership and respect and self-discipline. And it wasn't an old school, like they were very loving but they also, you know, trained you in martial arts. And I really, really liked their approach. And so all three of the kids, so Rebecca was 13, James was 10, and Alex was eight when they started. And I would go and I would watch it sit with the other parents and watch class. And then we would come home and we would move the couches and everything out of the way. And I'd say, okay, teach me how to do this. And they would teach me at (laughs) home. So by the time I actually started, I think I knew like I was up to like an intermediate belt (laughs) curriculum that I knew for my kids. Don't worry, I got this. (laughs) So with um, with our association, we have two black belt tests a year and you can go and watch them. So I took the kids when they were like maybe green or purple belts, they were intermediates. And we went and we watched and there were women there in their 30s who were testing for black belt. And I thought, you know, I've been an athlete all my life. I, I'm going to give this a try. And so I signed up the following week and we just, you know, it was really enjoyable for us to do it together. And then when I was going through the divorce, of course, was I was, you know, three years into the program and getting ready to test for my first degree black belt. And it really became my outlet. I can have a horrible fight with with my husband, soon to be ex-husband on the phone, and I can go to the studio and I can kick and punch and Mm -hmm. just get out all of the aggression or the stress. It also was a way for me to kind of reclaim some control because... I was doing things that I didn't know I could do. You know, I was I was training with guys. I mean, at my studio, we trained co-ed, where I know a lot of studios, you know, the women will only spar with the women and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I'm sparring guys out there and I'm kicking and punching and feeling good, watching my body transform, getting stronger. So it was a great outlet for me when I was, you know, where one part of my life was kind of falling apart to be able to have that control over another part of my life. Mm-hmm. I 100% reiterate everything you just said. And it's interesting, too, that you mentioned the control aspect of, of martial arts, because I know a few years ago, I was my parents were getting a divorce after 35 years and I took it pretty hard. And so at that time I got into Krav Maga and and kickboxing (laughs) and I was just like, this is amazing. But I walked out of my very first appointment or class or whatever you want to call it and felt so empowered and just like so on top of it. And so, I mean, to your point in control of the things around me. And I was like, 
you know, even after that one class, I was like, if someone comes up behind me, I know exactly <laughs> what to do. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, and then that got me hooked. And I started going after that more consistently because I did feel such a strong sense of empowerment. Yeah. And same, you know, same thing. It was co-ed. And so I was sitting there sparring with these much larger guys. And it just gives you a sense of I can walk into the, you know, not only can I walk down the street and feel safe and, and more confident in my ability, but that mentally translates to so many other things. I mean, yeah, I noticed I started so sticking up for myself, even if like someone accidentally cut in front of me at the post office. Mm-hmm. I, in the past, I would just be like, oh, it's fine. I'll just sit back here and it's no big deal. And I'll just keep quiet. And then it was like, I would even start to stick up for myself then. So it, it's funny how that begins to permeate into other areas of your life. You wouldn't think that what you're doing physically has the capacity to do that until you've experienced it and you start to feel those feelings of empowerment and courage and control and all those things that come with it. And I think more women would benefit if they just dove into some of those more, you know, quote unquote, masculine yeah. things, you know, and I, I hate to even say that I don't want it to be a masculine thing, but I think historically our society has labeled martial arts more masculine. Absolutely. I mean, combat sports only have been recently, you know, that you see women out there who are fighting in the, you know, in the championship rounds who are the main event of a fighting uh, card. It's only been very, very recent. So yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, I, what I have found is people start and they say, Oh, you know, I'm taking karate or I'm taking martial arts but around like blue belt, brown belt, there's a big switch where you see people and they'll say, I'm a martial artist. And it's a, it's a mental switch where it now it really becomes a part of your identity. And mm-hmm. I would say you know, for me, I mean, I've been, I started in martial arts in 1994 and, you know, so it's been a minute and, and it really is part and parcel of who I am. And somebody asks, well, you know, so what do you do? Well, I'm a sixth degree black belt. And there's other stuff that I do. <laughs> That's just like no big deal. More piece of who I am. You have a solid, interesting fact. Like anytime you meet people, right? totally. <laughs> totally. So your your story in the book takes place 20 years ago. How would you say that martial arts has affected your life since then? Oh my gosh! You know, I I talk in the story at the end about remembering the things that you've accomplished. And when I think back about that very first black belt, you know, breaking a brick is not something that you normally do. I mean, it's just, it's not very <laughs> activity, but, but going through that. And, and, and it's funny now, you know, when I got my six degree black belt, I had to break six bricks and with each one, it just gets harder and harder. And, and breaking six bricks was like so cool, but it was no more cool than breaking the first brick. Because at that point you just start thinking, I don't mm. want to do this, but, but I have to, you know, I mean, for me, I have to do this. And, and I think that sense that, okay, stuff comes up every day, right? I mean, I, I'm going to be 59 years old next month. It, it, it Stuff happens every day that you think, man, I don't know if I can do this, but you know what? I broke a brick. I broke two. I broke six. I, you know, you always, if you will, if you will train yourself to look back on your successes you may not, and it may have nothing to do with anything, right? I mean, I break six bricks. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I can get an MBA, but it's, it's the sense that there was something that I didn't know that I could do that I had never done before. And I found a way to make it happen. So I have the ability to do that again. And, 
and, and that in and of itself will help you take smart risks and it will help you be successful. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like when you learn lessons that I'm saying I'm advocating for sharing those lessons, make sure you share those lessons with yourself. You know, I learned Mm. something that day that I was stronger, that I was more capable, that I had so much more in me than I thought I did. And I need to remind myself of that no matter Mm -hmm. what I'm going through. I, you know, I went through four years ago, I went through my second divorce and it was hellacious. I mean, it was a nightmare. I mean, it was, he was my business partner. He was my training partner. And I found out that he had pretty much driven my business into the ground. He'd had an affair with one of our adult students. I mean, you name it, it went wrong. And it would have been so easy to just curl up in a ball and go, you know what, I'm just checking out. And and I'm not going to lie that it wasn't, you know, horrific to go through. But there was that sense of, you know what, damn it, I have gone through really bad shit in the past. And I'm going to get through this too. And if I can break six bricks, then you know what, I can save this business and they're not going to put a lock on my door. And, you know, I was writing payroll checks out of my personal account for a while and borrowing on my 401k and trying to figure stuff out. But you know what? I did it. I did it. And my business even now in COVID times is still in the black and I have a great life. And it's so important when we have those successes that we just don't like, you know, put them in a frame and stick them on the wall and forget about them. It's not one of those stupid, you know, confidence posters that you stick on the wall. Like this is something Mm -hmm. that you've got to pull out and look at it. Don't let it get dusty. Remind yourself of what you've accomplished in the past, because that is a precursor for what you can do in the future. I love that. (laughs) And reading through your story, one of the steps that really resonated me was step four. And I feel like what you were just speaking to is essentially, and especially as it relates to the brick, right? And seeing the first brick and then seeing four bricks, six bricks, et cetera. And step four for you was look past the challenge. And for me, I just can't help but sit and think of you like sitting in front of this brick and like looking through the brick to the other side, which I'm pretty sure like Mr. Miyagi also says. (laughs) But and so, you know, just like looking past the challenge and breaking through whatever it is that you need to, you know, was that the lesson that you were intending for the readers to gain from, from your chapter? Absolutely. You, you know, if you get, fixated on the problem. It's overwhelming. If especially if it's something that you've never encountered before, it can be mm-hmm. overwhelming. But you have to imagine what's that going to look like? For me, it was like, what's that going to look like two seconds after my hand goes through that? What's my Mm -hmm. life going to look like then? And you have to be able to visualize that and manifest that. What is Mm -hmm. my life going to look like on the other side of this challenge, this issue, this tragedy, this trauma, this whatever, no matter how devastating it is, there is going to be that split second after it's over. And if I can focus on that, And I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about it. I'm not trying to pretend like it's not going to be devastating when you're going through it, because I'll I'll tell you, you know, there's been a lot of really awful things that I've had to go through. But if you can kind of focus just beyond not looking, you know, well, in 10 years, everything's going to be great. No, 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 no. (laughs) What's your day after 
going to look like? You know, mm-hmm. maybe you're going to be bloody. You're going to be bruised. You're going to be, you're going to be just knocked on your ass. But what's it going to look like the day after it's over? And if you can keep your eye on the ball at that point, you can go through it. You can make good choices. But if you're fixated around the challenge right now, it makes it so difficult to make good decisions because everything is is skewed through that lens. Right. And that's such an important manifestation lesson as well is stepping into the feelings of how something is going to feel after you've done it. Are you happy? Yeah. Are you excited? Are you joyous? Are you peaceful? Are you relieved, <laughs> you know, find out what that emotion is and step into it before you even start. And it'll help you get the outcome regardless of the how, right? Because God or the universe or Allah or Jesus or whoever your person is, yeah. is looking out for you and they're going to take care of the how you just need to know how, where, where you want to end up and then they'll take care of the, the rest of the process. So good. So good. I'm curious to know, have you always wanted to be a writer? <laughs> um, yes, I have been writing <laughs> and telling stories since I was a little, little girl. So it's it's always been something that I've wanted to do. I've written a lot of stuff. I, I write in my profession as a marketer. I wrote stories all the time when I was in, in high school, Did took all the creative writing classes, all of that kind of stuff. I have always wanted to do this and uh, mm-hmm. it was finally time. I love it. Divine timing. It's something Laura mentioned in her first podcast. I was like, yes, I feel like it was the right time for all of you guys to come together. Yeah, yeah it really was. So what is next for you? So I'm actually working on a book <laughs> and uh, it's <laughs> oh, called, you do want to be right <laughs> hard to believe, but uh, yeah, it's called don't fight mad. And it's um, again, has a lot of martial arts as the metaphor for life, but mm-hmm. it's a memoir slash self-help slash inspiration book. And it, it's like what you see in this book is a, is a teeny little drop. Um, it's, it's a lot of different stories, my own, and then also some friends and, and folks that I know, people who have overcome things. But the idea for the title actually came one time when I was, I was a blue belt. So I was an intermediate and I was sparring with my instructor who was a third degree black belt. And whenever I would spar and I would get hit, I would get angry. And I would just come back stronger and harder, you know. And, <laughs> I'm back swinging. And, right? And he stopped me and he said, Cindy, you can't fight mad. Don't fight mad. When you fight mm. mad, you miss opportunities and you don't see what's coming. And mm. if you stop and sit with that for a second, that's a freaking life lesson right there. Oh, hell yeah. And so that was kind of the start of it. And so a few years ago, I was really privileged to do the deliver a keynote at UT at the graduate women in business. And I did this whole speech. And at the end of it, I had a bunch of people who come up and said, Oh my gosh, that should be a Ted talk. You should write a book, blah, blah, blah. And you know, that's been kind of rattling <laughs> around in my head. And so I joined a writing group, this time a really great writing group uh, who's led by Seth Godin. And there's probably, I don't know, three or 400 people in the writing group and started in June. And the idea is that you write every day and you're in this community of, of writers. 
And everybody's doing something different. There's memoirists, there's fiction, there's science fiction, there's fantasy, there's, you know, you name it, there's that. But Mm -hmm. you get a chance to just hang out with other writers and read other people's stuff and have other people read your things. And so I am, I'm pretty close to being done with that. And the hope is to have it ready for publishing at the end of the year. Two books in one year. Wow. (laughs) I mean, not even a year. It's like a quarter. (laughs) Crazy. Well, congratulations. I cannot wait to hear more about it. And please send us a link whenever that goes live. And I can update the show notes with all of that and, and link to it so people could easily find it. Brilliant. Thank you. And to that end, and of course, I'll put this in the show notes as well, but how can people connect with you? Yeah, so stereotypical social media. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, my websites are komarketingstrategies.com. That's my, I have a boutique Marcom agency. I do a lot of branding work and employee culture work with small businesses here in Austin, primarily women. And mm-hmm. uh, you can reach me on my my studio page, which is wcwmaaustin.com. That's my martial arts studio. And I'm on LinkedIn, Cindy Villanueva, and uh, also uh, Knockout Marketing Strategies on LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, it was so wonderful having you. Thank you so much for spending the past hour with me. And I can't wait to have more of the interviews come online as well later this month. Yeah. Thank you so much for supporting women authors and this great entrepreneur book. It's, it's, it's really a dream come true for all of us. So thank you for being a part of that. Honestly, it has been such a pleasure. And to all my listeners, thank you for tuning in. And I hope you gained so many nuggets from Cindy and I's conversation today. If you want to hear more about Cindy, I will link her website and all of her social accounts in the show notes so that you can easily go and find her. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend you head over to Amazon and grab your copy of Finding Our Wings and check out all seven of the co-authors' personal stories and lessons learned. And as a reminder, we would love it, love it, love it, love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe so that we can make my goal of getting on Apple's new and noteworthy list and Spotify's trending list. Help me manifest this shit and make it a reality. Thank y'all again, and I will catch y'all next week in our final interview with these co-authors from the book, Finding Our Wings. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes. As always, we would love it if you would share this episode with friends and family who could use the inspiration. As a new podcast show, we would really appreciate your honest feedback so I know what you like and what you could use more of. As a thank you for leaving us a rating, we will send you our seven weekly tips to create space for abundance. Make sure you screenshot your review and email it to us at hello at the T-H-E modernmanifestation.com so we can send them straight to your inbox. If you'd like to stay connected, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Manifestation, or you can head to our website at themodernmanifestation.com. Thanks again for joining me, and I will catch y'all in the next episode.